Welcome to this Walnut Wednesday edition of the My Ag Life Daily News Report. I'm your host, Lori Boyer. In addition to our special Walnut Wednesday report, we'll bring you a look at national and regional agricultural news here on the show today. And I'll start things off with a look at regional agricultural news right after this. Sponsored by the California Walnut Board and Commission. Supporting the industry with on-farm innovation through production research, advocacy for government programs, and driving consumer demand. Doing more together. Following the very active spell of winter storms during the end of 2022 and the start of 2023, the outlook for drought in much of the northern and western United States is much better than at the start of winter. A special drought assessment report by the Natural Resources Conservation Service in late January after the series of nine atmospheric rain events included these key points. The snow water equivalent for the California region is 215% of normal. The Great Basin is 206% of normal. And the upper and lower Colorado River basins are 146% of normal and 218% of normal, respectively. These storms improve drought conditions by increasing soil moisture throughout much of the West, especially in California. The amount of water stored in many reservoirs increased, but some are still well below the historical averages for this time of the year. The full Western U.S. drought Outlook is available at drought.gov front slash. A unified call of arms has been vocalized between International Fresh Fruit Association and the California Fresh Fruit Association for the reauthorization of the 2023 Farm Bill. Recent recommendations were delivered to Capitol Hill by the Specialty Crop Farm Bill Alliance, representing a year-long effort to address the vital need for ongoing and additional investment and support for the United States specialty crop agriculture industry. The California Fresh Fruit Association President Ian LeMay serves as a member of the SCFBA Steering Committee, which was established to advocate for broad-based farm policy initiatives to address the unique needs of the agriculture industry. He says on behalf of the California Fresh Fruit Association, they are proud to support the recommendations set forth by the Specialty Crop Farm Bill Alliance. The association is a longstanding member of this important coalition and looks forward to supporting these initiatives to ensure that agriculture in the United States remains viable for generations to come. According to the association, approximately $800 million is allocated through the Farm Bill annually to programs that help drive the competitiveness of the fresh produce industry. There are more than 25 programs in a current bill that provide resources and policy tools for fresh produce. As the Secretariat of the Alliance, the International Fresh Produce Association provides leadership and active support for the Alliance's recommendations, which encompass 109 recommendations across eight farm bill titles, including nutrition funding, research priorities, Food Safety Modernization Act research and support, enhancing rural development programs, and market access programs. From growers, shippers, and brokers to logistics providers and receivers, there have been plenty of headaches. They're seeing rising costs in all parts of operations such as freight, fertilizer, labor, and packaging materials. That, according to Jim Roberts, president of sales at Nutriripe Farms, LLC, headquartered in Salinas. John Bishop, national buyer for produce specialty companies at Fresh Start Foods Canada, LTD, in Milton, Ontario, is on the same page. As the price of fuel has had a huge impact on the cost of goods and what we pay for things, it touches about 
everything we do, according to Milton. The same is true for packager ag box company BBB of Oceano, California. They've had numerous price increases from their suppliers, some that seemed extravagant. That according to Deborah May, general manager. She says lumber prices have fallen and logically paper should have followed, but they're not seeing that at this point. And the supply chain has been very challenging, especially for offshore purchasing, but the situation has improved slightly, according to Bishop, citing the lockdown in China in April and May of 2022 as particularly troublesome. There were good weeks and bad weeks, he says, and sometimes it's the things you'd never think you'd have problems with. They're still having issues with parts for equipment. Exeter Engineering Incorporated, based in Exeter, California, buys materials from Asia and has seen lead times of four to five months for parts instead of six weeks. Electrical components have been even worse, taking nine to ten months rather than the usual two months, according to the company. The company says that rail issues seem to be the main source of the problem since late 2022. Planning for the future won't be easy. Predicting and budging transport costs will be a challenge. That, according to Ed Tracy, vice president of the Supply Chain and Sustainability Department for the International Fresh Produce Association. The 2023 California canning tomato price is set at $138 per ton for the conventional crop. This is a record price, 31% higher than last year's base price of $105. The California Tomato Growers Association announced the price after negotiations with the state's tomato canneries. Premiums ranging from $3 per ton to $18 per ton for late season crops are based on delivered tonnage. The remaining terms are the same as the 2022 master agreement. California canning tomato acreage was reported at $229,000 in 2021 and 2022, according to the CTGA. This is the lowest acreage since 1988. Yields have declined in the past several years to an average of under 46 tons per acre, according to the association. This is after they peaked in 2018 at almost 51 tons. Total production at peaked at over 14 million tons in 2015 on 299,000 acres, fell to under 11 million tons in each of the last two seasons. Skyrocketing natural gas prices this winter have sent shockwaves through California's nursery operations, which use the fuel to heat greenhouses. Some of them face utility bills as much as five times higher than in previous years. Natural gas remains one of the biggest production costs in the winter for some greenhouses. Unable to absorb the increases, nursery operators say they must raise prices to customers, including farmers who buy transplants and seedlings for plantings. Sandra Fishbein, executive director of the Vegetable Transport Nursery Association, said the extremely high natural gas rates were unexpected and have forced the businesses to add fuel surcharges to their plants. Because of chilly wintertime temperatures, she said there's little heating conservation nurseries can do without hurting their plants. Impacts of the rate hikes will snowball as some nursery customers will also need to adjust their prices and budgets, she said. She noted she is working with other farm groups to raise awareness and gain insight on why natural gas prices have risen so dramatically in California even as they have dropped in other parts of the country. In a December report, the U.S. Energy Information Administration pointed to several factors that have contributed to natural gas prices on the West Coast rising to current levels. For one, widespread below normal temperatures in much of the region have boosted natural gas usage for heating. At the same time, natural gas supply has not kept pace with the increased demand. The West Coast, which relies heavily on natural gas imports, has seen reduced deliveries from Canada and the Rocky Mountains, according to the EIA. Soil and Crop Incorporated is your number one resource for sustainable nutrition. Growers are faced with difficult challenges, and Soil and Crop Inc. has the experience, 
fertilizer, and biological portfolio to dramatically increase yield and performance in your troubled orchards and fields. Contact Soil and Crop Incorporated today for a free consultation on how we can help reverse the challenges you face as a conventional or organic grower so you can increase your bottom line and become a better sustainable farmer. Contact us today at 559-564-1236 or visit our website at www.callnrg.com. Soil and Crop, putting nature to work for you. Naval orangeworm continues to be problematic for almond and pistachio growers in the state, and some walnut growers have been finding it troublesome as well. Walnuts are the most recent tree nut crop in the state that NOW has taken a liking to as a host plant, and an assessment of the issue was the topic of a panel discussion at the California Walnut Conference in January, where researchers, PCAs, and industry professionals spoke to attendees on the varying pressures they see in orchards, and what that means for walnut growers and the industry as a whole. Eric Heidman is with Diamond Foods, a producer of walnut products. I would say that over the last 10 plus years, we've seen a gradual uptick uh, in the amount of navel orangeworm showing up. Where we do see it the most is from the southern growing region and with the earlier varieties. But as John alluded to, this pest does look like it is adapting. And it is, you know, it's opportunistic, I'd say. We... We do see a lot of problems, um, especially on like Tulare variety in between the first and second shake. Uh, if a grower doesn't go in with a spray after that first shake, we really see the potential for damage to spike up. And, you know, it does become a problem because, um, you know, just to kind of put it in perspective, you know, if you come in with a first shake and you're pretty clean below, say, 2% insect damage, it's really not a problem. But as you start approaching 5%, you're looking at probably a 10%, 15% reduction in, in a grower value for that crop, for that harvest. And as that damage starts to escalate towards 10%, and it's not uncommon for us to see second shake deliveries that didn't get sprayed that come in at 20% damage. You're talking a 50% at least loss on that, plus all the downstream headaches that that causes at the processor. So, you know, definitely a growing issue, but at the same time, you know, I'll put it in perspective, we see on average about 1% insect damage across our entire crop. And of that, navel orangeworm probably makes up not even half of that 1%. So relatively small problem, but something that I think as we go forward in the future here, you know, in the midst of low cost environment, uh, a lot of neighboring host crops, and just, you know, sanitation that is kind of hit and miss in some regions, I think this is something that we do need to watch out for. UCCE researcher Houston Wilson, also on the panel, named a number of reasons why the insect has not only infiltrated walnuts, but also why it could end up being a bigger issue than it is now without proper future protocols. As we've seen an expansion in tree nut acreage around walnuts in various parts of the state, there's more and more host material there. Uh, so, you know, you factor in low prices, uh, you factor in changes in the product availability for codling moth or even navel orangeworm as we've moved away from organophosphates. You're not getting as much uh, you know, <coughs> secondary kill in some cases when you're applying something for another insect that may have been previously affecting uh, navel orangeworm as well. So there's kind of this combination of economic and, and ecological factors and, and agronomic factors that are... Uh, kind of like this brewing storm that y'all been talking about. And, um, you know, there's new tools available, but 
there's certainly a lot more that we need to understand. Uh, you know, scientifically, I think what you've got on the UCIPM program right now, it's very specific to your orchard. You know, do your monitoring, do your sanitation, time your sprays like this, et cetera, et cetera. What we really need, and this is true of many insects that we're dealing with in California, is a, is a better way to approach what we call area-wide management. So how do we coordinate these activities across a broader area? If we know that you know, what's happening in your orchard may be the result of a neighbor who's not sanitizing enough or is, you know, for whatever reason, has their timing off or something like that, uh, that's, that's really a big challenge. And we're trying to develop some new tools to, to help folks do that. Um, and, you know, some of the focus Joe was mentioning about the, the investments in, in research, you know, one of the projects I've been working with for a long time uh, in collaboration with Chuck Burks at the USDA out in Parlier, right across the street from Kearney, has been trying to understand this dynamic about movement. And there's this phenology, kind of staggered phenology across the different tree crops, and, and walnuts are the last one in that chain, and we've been doing a lot of work over the past few years looking at the timing of these, these influxes of navel orangeworm into walnuts that uh, seem in many cases to be coming from other crops outside of that, that orchard. So m more to come, more to understand there, but definitely you know, area-wide management is going to be really important in the future. You're listening to My Ag Life. I'm Taylor Charlstrom. Sponsored by the California Walnut Board and Commission. Supporting the industry with on-farm innovation through production research, advocacy for government programs, and driving consumer demand. Doing more together. Market access, a theme that won't go away for USDA officials confronted routinely on a topic by lawmakers on Capitol Hill. Undersecretary Taylor, as I've previously mentioned to you, I'm concerned about this administration's lack of attention to expanding market access for U.S. agricultural products. That is South Dakota's John Thune, who challenged USDA Undersecretary Alexis Taylor to defend developing deals like the Biden Indo-Pacific Economic Framework. I am hopeful that we will see successful um, um, access there, um, addressing SPS and non-tariff barriers to knock down some trade hurdles that we currently experience. But it's tariffs and steep ones that Thune and other farm state lawmakers are concerned about as U.S. competitors do their own trade deals. IPEF didn't address the issue of market access, which is what our agricultural producers in South Dakota are looking for. And free trade agreements with countries in that region of the world, you know, free trade agreements with other places around the world, some that are kind of what we think are low-hanging fruit. So it just seems like the administration, no request for trade promotion authority. It hasn't been an FTA done. You guys got to step up your game here. But Taylor, USTR Chief Ag Negotiator Doug McKellop and his boss Catherine Tai all take their marching orders from the top, and those orders repeatedly show a president unwilling to do politically tough free trade deals. Brazil's foreign trade chamber has reinstated the 18% import tariff on ethanol, making U.S. imports less price competitive in the country. The recent 0% import tariff got put in place last year by Brazil's former president to help fight rising inflation. The current administration let the 0% tariff expire on February 1st. SP Global says the 18% import tax will protect Brazil's domestic ethanol producers, especially those in the north and northeast regions. Multiple sources say the move reduces competitively priced ethanol imported from abroad. The Ministry of Agriculture and Livestock said in an official statement that the increased import tax will also have a minimal impact on the end user in Brazil. Last year, Brazil imported $312 million 
million liters of ethanol, and the U.S. supplied 65% of total ethanol imports. Brazil extended the current exemption for federal taxes on fuel for the first 60 days of 2023. The Bipartisan Promoting Agriculture, Safeguards, and Security Act was introduced in both congressional chambers. It will protect the U.S. national security by preventing foreign adversaries from taking any ownership or control of agricultural land and businesses in the United States. The bill will also ensure the U.S. stays fully involved in reviewing the acquisition of American companies by foreign adversaries that could affect the agricultural sector. Specifically, China, Russia, Iran, and North Korea are prohibited from buying agricultural land and companies in the U.S. It also adds the Agriculture Secretary as a standing member of the U.S. Committee on Foreign Investment. Congressman Rick Crawford, a co-sponsor, says reports of entities ultimately controlled by the Chinese Communist Party buying American farmland and agricultural companies validate the need for a more protective posture in protecting the agriculture sector from foreign threats. Congressman Jim Costa says protecting the food supply is a national security issue. Two small refineries will not be required to blend more ethanol to comply with their 2021 obligations in the Renewable Fuel Standard after a federal appeals court issued a stay pending an appeal on EPA's retroactive rejection of small refinery exemption requests for the companies. On June 3rd of 2022, EPA denied 69 SRE petitions for compliance years 2016 to 2021 based on what the agency says was a revised approach to exemptions. In its ruling, the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit said San Antonio Refinery LLC and Calumet Shreveport Refining LLC were likely to succeed on at least one of their claims against EPA's change to the SRE program. EPA then denied 36 exemption petitions for the 2018 compliance year in April of 2022, employing the new interpretation of the CAA prior to the next phase of the exemption denials in June. The refiners put forth three arguments, including that the new interpretation violates the Clean Air Act, that EPA's new interpretation of disproportionate economic hardship led to an unlawful retroactive application of a new standard, and that EPA's denial of the hardship exemption petitions was arbitrary and capricious. Dairy cow numbers are higher than a year ago, but just barely. USDA Ag News reporter Gary Crawford has the report. The latest USDA cattle inventory report shows substantial declines from a year ago on the beef side of things. But if you check milk cow numbers as of January 1st, they were up fractionally at about 9.4 million cows, three-tenths of a percent above where they were in 2022. So just a very small increase in the overall dairy inventory. And USDA livestock analyst Shale Shagam says you get a better idea of what's happening in dairy by looking at another key number. You can sort of see in your your heifer retention numbers, the producers are not overly optimistic because we are looking at a milk cow replacement number of about 4.3 million head. It was 4.4 million a year ago, so that's a reduction of about 2%. USDA's most recent forecast for 2023 milk production pegs output up from a year ago, but by less than a percent. Prices forecast down about 15%. Gary Crawford for the U.S. Department of Agriculture. Bee Hero is the leading almond pollination provider. We deliver measurable and verifiable pollination outcomes for almond growers and turn a previously unquantified fingers crossed gamble into a controllable expenditure. For the first time, growers can know exactly what they are getting for their money during pollination. Bee Hero accurately evaluates your bee's pollination contribution in real time and gives you unprecedented visibility into the progress of bloom. 
Don't leave pollination to chance. Be sure. Be precise. Be hero. Call Charlie Phillips, VP of Sales at 559-467-9699. Be hero. Superior bees. Superior pollination. JCS Marketing is your number one way to connect with the ag industry. Through print magazines, digital media, podcasts, and live and virtual events, JCS Marketing has the reach to inform, educate, and influence growers in the Western United States. Everywhere you go, you see West Coast Nut Magazine on every one of my customers' tables. So that tells you everything. That's, that, it's there, so they're reading it. Our My Ag Life platform includes podcast interviews and digital articles for busy professionals on the go. Our live events, continuing education webinars, and virtual conferences help growers connect with leading researchers and industry leaders. Let JCS Marketing help you connect. That will wrap up today's show. You've been listening to the My Ag Life Daily News Report. I'm Lori Boyer. From all of us here at the JCS Marketing Team, thank you for listening. Thank you.